Welcome to the Sailing Into Oblivion podcast. I'm your host, Jerome Rand. Good evening, everybody. Wow, I feel like it's been about a million years since my last podcast. Oh, so many things have happened. (laughs) Actually, not a whole lot has happened outside of the norm of working and... uh, working more and then uh, working a little bit more. We actually finished up just over an hour ago, pretty much in the dark, which is always a little scary when you're hauling a big old 44-foot Benetow out and you can't really even tell if the strap is on the prop shaft or not. Luckily, it was not, and uh, we were able to just set that one down. Uh, But have to be back uh, in at work just before 7 a.m., so I don't know how long this podcast is going to be, but I really wanted to just get one out there um, because I want to, at minimum, get one of these out per week. And I got a really interesting email uh, that had a few, uh, I think, pretty cool questions. So I figured I would dive into that pretty much immediately, and I, you know, I'm a hundred percent sure how to pronounce this name. It's T A R A S Tarza, and that's what I'm gonna say. Uh, sorry if I'm mangling that, but basically, uh, Tarza is looking at buying a boat and sailing it from Argentina up north to the Caribbean early next year, and just wanted to have a little bit of a uh, uh, I don't know, kind of an explanation as far as he's he's going to do it single-handed and double-handed, a few little stops along the way, but he's looking to try and figure out what the best, uh, I don't know, what's sort of the, the best time to set sail for that kind of journey. And leaving from like deep, deep south, way, way, way down there, basically the Southern Ocean, um... I'm always going to say that if you're if you're in that situation, you want to be, you know, you want to be there uh, like December, January, February, peak of the summer. That way you're going to have the least chance of having really foul weather deep down south. And um, if you're trying to wind up in the Caribbean, essentially, you're looking at setting sail, let's say, in January um, to get up you can you know you don't have to go over towards africa and then cut up because you're essentially you've got the southeast trades well you have the variables after you leave the southern ocean and those don't take too long to get through you're gonna have winds coming from all over every single direction but you just sort of fight your way through that until you hit the southeast trades once you hit those trades i mean it's pretty much due north after that hook into some of those currents heading back uh, around the tip of Brazil towards the Caribbean. And that one, you're just flying after that. And so you're looking at, you know, basically a month or so, depending on how many stops you make and, and things like that along the way, because there are a lot of cool places from essentially the Falklands all the way up to the tip of Brazil. And even around then, you know, if, uh, if you're up for the adventure, there's a lot of places that can be stopped along the way. Um, some maybe a little more dangerous, I guess, 
than others. Uh, the Amazon Delta and a few other places can be a little bit sketchy, but for for people who are adventurous and and want to give it a shot and see what's going on, uh, more power to you. I'd love to stop by and see some of those places for sure. Um, but essentially, yeah, I mean, you're you're not looking at a huge amount of time because those trade winds, once you get through the variables and once you get through the doldrums, uh, and the doldrums are typically weaker the closer to South America you are. So imagine you're you're ripping along in these beautiful Southeast trades. You hit the doldrums. You know, you're going through that for a week or so and hey, maybe you just pack enough fuel so that you can motor through them. So you're actually, instead of a week or so, it's only a couple of days, you hook into the Northeast trades and then now you're just bombing towards the Caribbean and you head pretty much, you know, Trinidad area, Grenada area. And then if you're looking to have the full Caribbean experience, then hey, you just cruise the, the islands all the way up. Most people will actually try to start in the winter time, you know, December, January, February. The winds typically in the Caribbean have a little bit of a northerly uh, angle from them. And so people will sort of work their way down and down and down. And then as winter turns into spring, then typically the winds will start to come a little more out of the south. So people work their way back up the island chain to get to a hopping off point of either going back to the States or over to the Mediterranean. So it's a lot of, a lot of really kind of cool options that are available. And I think that's actually one of the things that makes having a sailboat and adventuring and, and sort of seeing the world that way. So sort of, uh, appealing is that, you don't need to have that dead set schedule like you would if you were booking airline flights or a vacation or something like that, where you're like, all right, well, we're going to spend two days here and then we're going to spend four days there. And da, da, da. it's with a sailboat, boy, you, you, you have all these options to, uh, you know, you find a spot that you really like, you can pretty much plant it there for a little while. I know whenever I pull into Dominica, they give you two weeks and they say, if you want two more weeks, you just come back and tell us. And then if you want two more weeks after that, you just come back again. And, uh, it's pretty welcoming, pretty welcoming in the Caribbean. You, uh, you'll definitely have, have yourself a, a pretty epic time. Uh, if that's the sort of, uh, cruising experience that you're looking for. Um, but yeah, I mean, as far as the route, I'm I'm not the best person for routing because I'm typically doing this stuff solo and I'm doing it way offshore. I mean, for me, the coast is the enemy, so to speak, as far as that's where traffic is, that's where the dangers lie, and if you get me a couple of hundred miles away from that coast, then I'm in my happy little place because I can sleep I can run with the storm. I can change directions without worrying about sea room or anything like that. Um, But yeah, I mean, if you have a boat, the boat's from 2006. It's a lot of original equipment. She's in good shape, but she probably requires some updates. And yeah, I mean, you know, you can always get 
all sorts of different updates and and new gear and all that sort of stuff. But I, I if if pressed for advice, I would always say keep the boat as simple as humanly possible. All these fancy little gadgets and extra this and extra that they end up typically only costing you time and money because in the grand scheme of things, unless you're doing a huge amount of pilotage in and out of major like rivers and ports and all that sort of stuff, you know, if you're, if you're looking to do more sailing just on the ocean, all that stuff, really. I I rarely ever turn any of that stuff on. The AIS is about the only thing that I'm I'm absolutely critically using all the time. The rest of the stuff, GPS, chart plotter, any of that, is typically off because um, there's just no reason to have it on. I look at it and I'm like, wow, that screen display is really cool, uh, but it's wasting electricity, and I want to make ice for my sundowner tonight so i'm going to prioritize the refrigerator how's that sound um but you know some people really enjoy that aspect of the technology that they have on a boat because it is kind of nice uh especially when it really comes in handy i.e you know pulling into places and stuff where you can see everything and you get you you definitely get quite a bit of confidence out of some of those technologies but when it comes to trying to figure out a what you actually need and what you actually um just sort of want to have as sort of a comfort factor you know always go with what you need because you're going to find that you are fully fully capable of dealing with almost anything out there without six layers of protection uh, from all sorts of different screens and technology that definitely make it seem like this is something you need to have on your boat all the time and you need to be watching all the time. But in reality, you know, people have been doing this sort of stuff with paper charts and uh, writing. I, I, when we used to do pilotage, when I was first learning sort of the, the whole navigation skills Essentially, what you did was you went to a pilotage book, which gave you really in-depth information to enter a port, and you would have a notepad, and you would scribble down your own little chart of the area with all the the different buoys and things like that, and depths and things you had to watch out for, and then you'd scribble down a few notes next to it, and you put that in your pocket and that was how you made your way into port. And one, nothing can go wrong with that unless you accidentally lose it overboard. Two, you now have to, since you are the person that actually transcribed it onto this thing, you already know that area a little bit better and you sort of almost have it memorized. Um, and three, it was just that that was all you needed because we didn't have anything else uh, we didn't have phones and we didn't have tablets and we didn't have all that stuff. And granted, I love having the tablets. I love having the phone to be able to zoom in, zoom out and and just track my progress. But boy, you know, you put yourself at a little bit of risk when that's what you depend on. Um, case in point, the last time I was pulling into uh, Beaufort, South Carolina, 
I had to go in through St. Helens Sound, which is a little bit north. It's about 20 miles from the ocean to the marina that I was going to. I left the ocean at about 5 o'clock in the evening, so I knew it was going to be a nighttime intercoastal waterway trip. Uh, wasn't something I was looking forward to. Should have, definitely should have, as soon as I was in protected water, just anchored for the night and slept. I'd been out at sea for like 80 days, so I was pretty jonesing to get in there and have a beer and have some pizza and all that sort of stuff, so I kept going. Thunderstorms roll in. It's raining. I'm sitting there with this iPad that's inside of a Ziploc bag underneath another layer of protection, trying to like continue on with it and keep it charged and all this stuff. And, you know, it did allow me to get in through all that, but it was also major stress for sure. And, if I look at it from a seamanship point of view, it was really not uh, a smart thing to do. I, it was a bad decision that I made. I took a big risk, and uh, as good as the pizza tasted and the beers and all that sort of stuff that night when I finally pulled in just after midnight, it was a risk, and it, that stuff would have tasted just as good, if not better, if I had waited one more day. Um, so I don't know. That's that's I'm going a little bit off into the weeds here. Uh, but <clears throat> I always say that uh, when you're outfitting a boat, make sure you try and keep it as simple as possible because, you know, sometimes we think we need all this stuff, but in all actuality, um, we don't need quite as much as we think we do. And when you develop the skills that you really have to have to be able to do this stuff, Simple doesn't break as much as complicated, and uh, it it sure as sure as heck costs way way less. Uh, but yeah, I mean that was uh, that was sort of I don't know. It sounds like a pretty cool trip. I mean we're talking going uh, stopping in the Falklands, uh, Uruguay, tip of Brazil. Don't know exactly where to go next. Probably secure some updates. And it is it is pretty sweet, man. And then doing double-handed with a friend or two, and then uh, a few single-handed legs. It sounds like a pretty good adventure. I think there's there's a, a lot of really good stuff to see, and uh, the South Atlantic is is a pretty awesome ocean, I must say. Um, I, too, have some... Uh, I'd love to get down to the South Atlantic and see St. Helena and Ascension Island, if I could at some point. I think that would be pretty fun. Um <clears throat> And maybe eventually I will uh, make it on down that way and, and be able to go and see that stuff before before it's too late and I'm too old and I can't do it. <laughs> I think I got some time on my hands. Uh, but yeah, I mean, other than that, I I don't know. I just I really just wanted to do a quick check-in. Uh, I really have to hit the rack and uh, be ready for tomorrow. It's going to be a rainy day. We had... Oh man, last week we had a couple of days that were just wet, cold, and you're out in it the whole day trying to trying to move these boats around, you're dirty. I felt bad too because you know there's definitely some people that wanted to say and and sort of chat and stuff like that, but boy, we just didn't you know, not having the time to be able to to 
to sort of converse with, with some of the customers and all that sort of stuff, man, I, I definitely don't like that. I, I would much rather be unstressed and, uh, and, and ready to just be able to sort of chat a little bit, but boy, we're just under the gun here. Cause as things fill up, all of a sudden it becomes, um, you know, people, people need, need the spots and they need, uh, their boats out and, you know, it's, it's oct- late October in Maine. Um, the storms are coming. I've been watching, watching this stuff roll off the coast. We had that pretty ugly weather, um, the other week. And then we got some, not too ugly stuff, but a little bit of ugly stuff coming off tomorrow. And then, uh, just sort of watching, I don't know. It just, it, it just sort of keeps coming at this point. So it's a little, little unruly for old J-Rome. I, I've left Maine at the end of October, beginning of November, a couple of times now. And it is always a bit of a gamble. Um, I'm typically watching the area of the Great Lakes and to the northwest of that to see sort of what systems are coming down. Because it seems like, seems like there's two, two things that happen. One, they come down from there, or two, they spontaneously blow up off of Cape Hatteras. And right now, there's a little system that's blowing up off of Cape Hatteras. Nothing big, nothing bad, but it's going to stretch its way up over by tomorrow night. It'll be blowing up here in the 20s, which is going to be kind of ugly. But uh, And I'm watching this on Windy right now just unfold because it's so crazy. You know, one minute, I've got weeks and weeks to prepare the boat and not even have to think for a second about the weather. And then all of a sudden you start seeing the extended forecast reaching to right now it reaches to Wednesday, the 26th. And I'm like, Whoa, uh, I'm going to be leaving only a few days after that, probably. So do you have to watch, watch the weather and there's, you know, massive gale up, uh, on the other side of the Atlantic a little bit of disturbances here and there, some un- unsettled weather uh, in the middle of the Atlantic. But other than that, it just it, it seems like lots of lots of calms, calms, and then these little these little strange gales. Because yeah, by it looks like by Sunday and Monday next week we might have another system that's sort of blowing up a little bit, <clears throat> and definitely some stuff coming across from the Great Lakes and everything, but those are always odd. Sometimes they keep moving, sometimes they don't. I'll tell you, meteorology is absolutely fascinating. I wish, I wish that, uh, if I ever, if I ever had it to do over again, I think I would probably go to school for that. Oh man, there's big, ugly systems way up there. It's so crazy. But, you know, again, I always have to, when I look at these forecasts, it's so far out. I don't trust anything past four days anyway, especially when it's offshore stuff. So I try not to get too wrapped up in it. It's pretty easy to, to all of a sudden be biting your nails, but then, you know, it's all, it's all going to change anyway. So just keep an eye on it. Again, the game plan, let's get the boat ready. I've got this week is the last full week of work after this. It's all going to be part-time. 
And uh, so I'll have tons and tons of time to be able to work on the boat. I was so exhausted this last weekend. I didn't do a whole lot, but I got a super early start this morning. Got the last few things painted. And uh, yeah, the mast will be going in uh, probably in the next two, three days. Well, hopefully, because uh, then it's going to be the weekend again. Had a really good fun evening Friday night with Murph. That was pretty nice. Uh, He and I had not hung out since I was sick the last weekend. We hadn't hung out in uh, quite some time. And, you know, you always got to make sure you take a little bit of time for your friends uh, because you never know when they're not going to be around. Um, And it can be uh, something where you're just going to regret not taking the time which is another reason why it's been a while since, you know, podcasts and all that sort of stuff. Just trying to enjoy a little bit of life uh, outside of constantly trying to produce stuff and then also work on stuff. And, you know, life is a journey. You have to be able to say you enjoyed it a little bit. I mean, what's the point of, you know, making a bunch of money if you have to work 150 hours a week, uh, you know, I mean, if it, you, I don't know, it's just, uh, there's a balancing act that needs to happen. And, um, sometimes I just want to grind out the work stuff. And sometimes I just want to be able to, uh, not have to work at all and just hang out with friends. But too much of either side of that, uh, is probably not all that good. So finding that balance definitely, definitely helps. Um, yeah. So that's, that's pretty much it. Uh, I will, let's just, let's just do a quick check in on our good old golden globe racers because they are getting down there. They're actually, uh, I think the, the people who are in first place are actually pretty much in the variables and, uh, destined over the next few next week or so to uh, touch into or get close to the Southern Ocean and at least definitely get affected by the weather. But we're on day 43 of the uh, of this this epic round the world race and uh, still at the 13 we got 13 sailors in it um, and they're spread way out now. I mean they're spread out from just south of the equator all the way down to geez 20 20 something degrees south latitude wow yeah that's uh that's definitely let's see how far is it oh 25 degrees south 26 degrees south uh, the first place guy holy smokes so they're spread out and it's it's going to be sort of interesting i mean when you get so many you know thousand miles or so in between first and last place a lot, a lot can change in that because again, you know, when things break down on these boats, um, well, a lot of times it's sort of the last person standing sort of thing where it's broken to a point where the person has to stop somewhere. But, you know, even though there's a huge amount of distance, it seems like in between some of these, these, uh, racers really can can change up very quickly and uh, especially as they enter the southern ocean because even though it's known as a super windy 
the gales and all this sort of stuff, there's a lot of time in between where there is no wind at all. And uh, you will be praying, just absolutely doing anything to have any sort of wind because you are in these monster waves and just getting tossed around. And it just feels like absolutely hell on earth. It's I, I, I can't. I cannot emphasize enough just how miserable it is to be stuck in between low-pressure systems in the Southern Ocean with that southwest swell, no wind at all, and it's just this never-ending motion that you just can't escape from. I mean, it, it, it makes the doldrums seem like sitting out in a nice grassy field and enjoying uh, the, the beautiful view and temperatures. Um, you know, of a nice summer's day. When you get down to the Southern Ocean, it is uh, completely, completely opposite. Uh, but yeah, it looks like, so we've got one, two, three, four, five. So there's like a group of five, and they're all definitely in the variables. So they're dealing with some some ups and downs with the weather. And then they will be pretty much starting to ride the northern edge of some of these low-pressure systems all the way across over towards Cape Town, which is their next sort of checkpoint. Uh, in the mid-fleet, you know, we got another five racers that are sort of um, just enjoying. And uh, it looks like one or two of them just were able to squeeze past Brazil and then in the uh, the trailing section, there's three three little boats down there that have just entered the southern hemisphere. And uh, one of those is Elliot Smith, the American, the lone American. And you know, kudos to them. Hopefully, hopefully they're not. Uh, I don't think in this type of race you have a whole lot of that. Like, oh, geez, we're we're not doing too well in the race because this this really and truly is one of those races that. If you finish this course, epic. That's already, that's like a badge right there. Um, most of these people, I don't know how many of these racers have actually done this trip before. I'm going to bet it's not many, um, just because there really aren't a lot of people that actually do this. Um, so just completing the course is going to be a pretty big deal for any of them. So I don't think they get too downtrodden. Maybe the ones in the first, you know, first like five positions or something, because you know, well, uh, there's a possibility I could win this thing and, and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, that's, uh, that's looking pretty good. And the, the weather down South isn't, uh, it's, it's not crazy bad by any means. But I will say it's still very early to be entering the Southern Ocean. Um, for my money, I know I've said this before, I wouldn't want to enter the Southern Ocean anytime before December 1st. And these these racers, some of them are going to be there before November 1st. And uh, that's a bit scary. South Atlantic can get pretty scary. Some of those systems uh, can come off and come up pretty north. But um I don't know. They do have the South Atlantic high that they have to get either below or get lucky that it dissipates and they can cut right through it. In the middle of that is the South Atlantic garbage patch. I sailed directly through that for five days. I saw trash all the time. Um, so kind of an interesting little area in the world that they're going to be they're going to be sort of sailing through. Um, and then it really is. It's time to get into the. The crazy stuff, um, you know, 
Cape of Good Hope and having to do this checkpoint off of Cape Town and then head south. Uh, you know, the Agolis Current, all that sort of stuff is right there. Ugh, it's just a, it's a scary cape. It's scared me, I think, more than any other cape, even though it's not technically in the Southern Ocean. I think it lies at about 37 degrees south. But you have to, if you want to get south of the Agolis Current, you need to be down about 40. I had to go down to 41 degrees south, which is technically in the Southern Ocean, um, just to stay underneath that. And it's just the fact that it takes like a week to get past and actually into the Indian Ocean proper and sort of away from the currents and the countercurrents. I don't know. It's... uh. Gosh, it's spooky, spooky place. And uh, big time respect for all of these racers who are taking this challenge on. I know it's uh, it's definitely a little bit different than just grabbing a boat and setting sail and trying to do this sort of thing on your own. I know that's and I, I'm not trying to toot my own horn or anything like that. But there's there's something a little next level about that, I think, uh, where you don't have a race command or race committee um sort of watching your back and ready to pull the trigger on rescues and or just having all these other sailors out there who can turn back or try and speed up and and come to your aid um so it is a a little bit different but i don't know you know i I don't know if i had my choice i don't know which one i would well no i would prefer to do this by myself uh there's something about that whole solo aspect that uh, just, I don't know. It, it seemed like the, when they did the first golden globe, uh, again, they didn't have as many people in it and most of them weren't even going to make it outside of the first ocean. But, um, boy, there's just something about that unknown and that really just raw, absolute raw isolation of, you're the only one in this little race, and you're actually only racing a season, so I don't know. It's pretty crazy. Well, I'm off in the weeds. Holy smokes. But, uh, yeah, so I just want to thank everybody uh, for continuing the support and everything. Uh, I know it's been a little bit longer, and it's, you know, I'm, I'm definitely hoping to hoping to get some more podcasts out and i think once uh once we finish up this week of the last full week of full-time work then hopefully we'll be able to get into some in-depth stuff as everything starts to come together on old sparrow and the mask comes back on and all that sort of stuff so we will uh we'll give you some updates there and hopefully have a little bit of fun but uh Thanks again for all the Patreon people who uh, continued their support for the month. I uh, can't tell you how much that means to me and uh, how many supplies. I think this this month when uh, when we get the payout and everything, I'm gonna I'm gonna take that money and I'm going to go ahead and sort of keep note of what that actual those purchases are. I have a feeling they're gonna be in bottles. Um, or in uh, different sort of food products, but I'll try and mark those down so that everybody knows exactly uh, what I'm getting for your support, <laughs> which I definitely appreciate. Uh, but if you do want to become a patron of the podcast or the YouTube stuff, uh, the link will be in the description. You can head right over just by clicking that. And if you just want to reach out to the show 
uh, feel free to head over to sailingintooblivion.com and uh, you can email me directly from there. Just click the podcast link. Other than that, thanks for listening, everybody. There's more to come and uh, please enjoy this lovely October week.